Welcome to the JACCP podcast. I'm Jerry Bauman, the editor of the Journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Today, we're talking with Dr. Crystal Hasse. Dr. Hasse is professor and head of the Division of Adult Medicine in the Department of Pharmacy Practice at Texas Tech University Health Science Center School of Pharmacy. She also practices in the MICU at Northwest Texas Hospital in Amarillo. Crystal and her colleagues, Dr. Megan Whitworth and Kishore Yalamanchili, share their experiences and reflections from a health system cyber attack in the June issue of JACCP. Crystal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jerry, and thanks for having me. First off, I want to thank you for sending this really interesting and valuable paper to JACCP. I really think it's a must-read for anyone practicing clinical pharmacy today. And I think it's particularly timely given the recent cyber attacks that have occurred in other U.S. industries, of course, notably the Colonial Hack and a very recent one in the meatpacking industry. Cyber attacks on the healthcare systems and hospitals are not really that new and haven't been in the news as much as some of these others. But I know there have been attempts, either successful or not, on many such institutions, including my own hospital in Chicago. So perhaps to start, could you simply describe the healthcare system in which you practice and then tell us what happened with this specific cyber attack? Certainly. So I practice uh, at Northwest Texas Hospital, which is a for-profit institution in Amarillo, Texas. We have just under 500 beds, and it's an interesting mix of private physicians and academic teaching teams. Um, Myself and my colleagues practice primarily in the medical, surgical, and cardiology ICUs. So we have about 68 beds we cover. And the timing of this event was just at the end of our second major surge of COVID patients. And so we, we don't normally staff 500 beds, but at that time we were at our peak volume and we're caring for essentially twice as many patients as we would normally see across that mix of services. And so what happened was on September 27th at another hospital within the Universal Health Services system was that there was a security incident. There were individuals that were getting locked out of the systems that they were accessing and it was spreading from computer to computer. Uh, it was determined that this was an an attack through ransomware that was leading to computer system failures. And in response to that, Universal Health Services took all of their IT systems offline completely and transitioned back to patient care procedures that did not require any of those computer or online systems. At the time, our hospital had multiple backup strategies in place that are typically used when you have a downtime event, such as an outage or an update. But most of the systems relied on some type of backup computer-based operation. And so once you took down all of the systems, it also took down some of our second and third line backup plans. The other thing that was unique about this event compared to things we may have experienced in the past was that the existing downtime procedures really are designed for short events. So a day, 24, 48 hours at the most. These events, um, in order to restore the computer systems, uh, the IT uh, staff for Universal Health Services had to clean and prep each individual network computer one at a time. And so there were some systems that were not restored for, for up to two and a half weeks. And so this was a much longer downtime event than had been experienced in the past. So how was the medication use system affected? 
So the, the medication use system was really impacted significantly. And if you just think about how many steps there are in the process from ordering a medication to getting the, the medication to the patient to documentation, they are so heavily integrated into technology now. And so on the ordering side, we went from electronic physician order entry with clinical decision support systems all the way back to handwritten orders that were transmitted by fax or, or by phone. Pharmacists were having to manually review patient profiles that they had had on hand and enter orders onto a medication administration record manually. Nurses, uh, for a while, we were able to work from the, the printed administration records that we had access to on the computer, but the more days we got into the event, we were literally rewriting uh, medication administration records from scratch. In addition to that, all of the systems that you would normally access to review patient information in order to approve orders and ensure uh, medication safety, such as access to laboratory data and other uh, patient information, were, were impacted as well. And so all of that information went back to those good old-fashioned three-ring binders that are kept by the bedside. The medications were delivered even with handwritten labels for a time. There were some systems on our, uh, in our hospital that were still intact, such as the PIXIS system and our smart pumps, but they were no longer tied to patient profiles. So some of the safety features were in place, but we lost some of those as well. So in total, I would say that we took most of our medication use process back about 15 to 20 years. That's incredible. In, in the body of your paper, you provide the reader with, with five lessons learned. Could, could you speak to the first four, and we'll, we'll deal with the fifth in a different uh, question, and, and uh, if you could, maybe uh, provide some examples. Sure. So, so the first thing we, we realized was that with this particular attack, we were really in new territory. And uh, looking into some research, there's been a lot of time and energy resources spent on maintaining information systems, data systems from the perspective of security. There are a lot of guidelines available in this. However, when it came to finding guidance for how to continue to provide patient care in a safe and effective manner, the guidelines said, well, you just need to figure out how to do that. And so um, there were a lot less, there was a lot less detail when it came to the specifics of, of those steps. Most institutions probably have memories of when we first rolled out EHR and all of the times the system would go down, which it did a lot more frequently at that time. We felt pretty comfortable working through those short-term events. We had systems in place. And in fact, our health system uses their routine downtime as an opportunity to test short-term down procedures. And so what really was a challenge here and what was eye-opening is we were not prepared for an event that took down every piece of technology that we had and for the duration of time that it did. It really went past what our existing downtime procedures would accomplish. The second thing I would say that we learned was that we're out of shape in some areas. And a lot of that's because of how much the patient care process is now aided or relied upon or how much we rely upon computers. I think the most interesting example we came across was with our resident physicians. Basically, these individuals, where they are in their training, they've never handwritten orders. And so some of the very basic things, such as putting a date and time and signing orders, were things that were unfamiliar for them. Uh, likewise, you know, in the ICU, we write a lot of orders that are more complex that require titration. And so being able to write an order for a continuous infusion or a multi-step administration was really challenging. And so because these used to be selected from pre-programmed order sets, 
uh, within the computer. And so one of the more simple things that we were able to do for our team in, in support was just to put together a list of correctly written orders for them to use as a reference so they weren't trying to do this from scratch. Replacing our clinical decision support systems where the computer actually uh, inter intervenes and provides guidance for titration or medication changes, such as you might have with insulin, or in our case, heparin was a good example, um, were far more difficult. What we learned there was that um, once you uh, have a system that the computer does something for you, if uh, healthcare providers aren't fully trained on what that system is doing, they're not in a position to replicate and, and, and make those changes there on their own if the system is down. And so we need to spend a lot more time educating the basics of, of what goes on inside the black box, so to speak, of clinical decision support. Related to this, it was really interesting to note that those of us who could recount the days, and I'm not going to say who of, who of us can do that, but I definitely was there uh, before electronic health records, had a lot easier time transitioning back to paper uh, in an offline system than those individuals who had never practiced in that way. So we also, I think, had a better perspective on all of the pitfalls and things that could go wrong once you took away a lot of the safeguards that we have. Lastly, I think the lesson that, that resonated the most with me was that while computers have really improved how we deliver care, the, the timeliness of care, um, they've also brought along some baggage with them. And so I think this is most reflected in our EHR documentation. Patient care notes, uh, they're just not what they used to be. And so I think a lot of this has changed slowly over time. And so it wasn't as apparent to us as it was once we were forced to go back to having physicians write handwritten notes. So once they got adjusted to the change, we realized that the focus of medical documentation has changed really from one of conveying critical information to other providers and to communicate a process of care to that of capturing the documentation related to billing and, and legal uh, and regulatory needs. In addition to that, the ability, the availability of templates, copy-paste functions, and other tools for convenience mean that the notes that we have, they really carry a lot more baggage or a lot more fluff than they used to. And so I think at this point in time, when we switched over, it was really nice to go back to a note that, that was written, that was streamlined, that, that really communicated more than just the copy and paste functions that we'd had before. And so I think all providers really should take an opportunity to look back at how they're documenting and to try to improve and ensure that while they're still meeting billing and regulatory needs, that they provide the best value they can as a communication tool. The second aspect of this probably relates more to nursing, and that is just the sheer volume of information that providers are having to document every day, minute, and hour of their job in the medical record. The amount of time that was spent on this is consuming. In the, during the cyber attack, obviously, we could, that was not feasible, and so they stepped that back quite a bit. And so it really gave us pause to say how much of that information is truly needed for patient care that frequently uh, when nurses uh, and other healthcare providers could use that time more in the act of delivering care. This is really interesting. And um, I'm, I'm glad I never had to go through a situation like this. It's a little comforting to know that an older clinician like myself could navigate paper orders and, and deal with patient care without computers. But nonetheless... On to lesson five. So in lesson five, you recount how pharmacists were integrated and in essential members of the healthcare team during this crisis. So for the listeners, could you provide some of these examples? Sure. Um, first of all, I'd like to say I was very proud of all of our pharmacy staff at the hospital because 
every person stepped up in a, in, in a lot of different ways to shore up medication delivery needs and, and our patient care process during the event. For our group in particular, um, and as far as team integration goes, I think what's unique for us was that we were, because we round on a, on, on a medical team, and have face-to-face interaction with physician, nurse, respiratory therapists, dietitians on a daily basis, we're in a great position to listen to the needs of those healthcare providers face-to-face in real time, to educate uh, where we had issues that we could solve on our own and to help find solutions and work with our administration on, on things that we couldn't. The most poignant example of that, I was not on service for the first few days of this, but the clinical ICU pharmacist, who's my practice partner that was, uh, on the first 48 hours, her main role really was to focus on the medication safety needs of the patients. And so she responded very quickly, adding to her typical patient care roles by taking over the medication order writing process, at least for, for a short period of time, while then also training the residents to do that. And so she would serve as a scribe and write orders for them to review and sign on rounds um, she also double checked all of the medications manually uh, from a medication safety standpoint because things that we've grown to be comfortable with a computer doing, such as drip calculations, checking for allergies and drug interactions, the systems weren't available to do that. She also utilized her students pretty effectively during this process as well. Uh, she had those the students work with her to verify the accuracy of the handwritten medication administration records. As you can imagine, with with people unfamiliar with the process, discontinuation of orders, initiation of orders, all of that being done manually um, could get out of hand and and inaccurate relatively quickly. And so they check those every single day until the process evolved, um, probably for about the first week or so. Beyond that, as I mentioned, the, the rounding pharmacists, we were really involved extensively in troubleshooting all sorts of problems, helping to track down information and reviewing things uh, during those weeks. One of those things, and this is something that, that when I was not on service helped with, was, was just the idea of tracking down old paper copies of order sets and protocols that had been turned into electronic protocols within the computer system and into clinical support pathways we didn't have paper copies of a lot of that. And so I'm, I'm terrible personally about cleaning out and throwing away old files. And so between myself and, and several other colleagues, we were able to come up with a fairly comprehensive set of manual protocols that we could then work from and update to, to current standards and share as a reference with the teams. And so that helped as well uh, while all of our clinical decision support systems were down. Yeah, I think, you know, during crises such as this, uh, you know, people tend to to band together and uh, help out in any way that they can. But do you think that patient outcomes were affected at all during this time? You know, fortunately, I don't know of any specific errors or problems that occurred that were directly attributed to this event. But I think it would be naive to think there weren't any issues. I would say there, there were almost definitely some delays in the timing from medication ordering to patient administration. Um, you just have to work backwards from the data on how e-prescribing has improved those metrics to know that this was a likely problem. Beyond that would probably be more intangible issues, such as um, we do know that hospital administration did make some changes, maybe not so much at our institution, but we know that some patients who had elective procedures, surgical procedures, for example, they, those were pers- postponed and canceled during that time to keep patient volume down. And so it's hard to know whether those things affected patient outcomes or if there was something that because the electronic systems didn't catch it, that maybe we would not know if we had any near misses, for example. So the last question, 
is in regard to uh, an invited editorial that I asked uh, Desi Kodas and Carolyn Rath from USASF to prepare that accompanies your paper uh, in the June issue of JACCP. And in this editorial, they recount several instances of cyber attacks within their own institution, one that actually cost the UCSF School of Medicine over a million dollars. And to this end, how, how did you recover? In other words, what's the end of the story? Um, were these international perpetrators? And um, did the healthcare system pay to recover functionality? Um, sort of give us the end of it, if you could. Sure. So, so I don't have the complete picture, but we do know that the coding that was used for this cyber attack was the Ryuk, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, ransomware. And that's been used by international crime organizations in the past. And that my understanding is that UHS made the decision to shut down virtually all of their computer systems rather than paying any type of ransom. Uh, interestingly, when I was researching for, for the publication, I learned that within days of this attack on the 27th, the U.S. Treasury Department had actually issued a notice that stated that it was illegal for companies to pay ransom demands because that money can then be used to fund other activity that can threaten national security. So that doesn't mean, however, that just because they didn't pay any ransom that the health system didn't suffer any losses. And in fact, Universal Health Services has now disclosed that they lost an estimated $67 million in revenue. And that was due to decreased patient activity. For example, they, they stated that they had to divert patients to other hospitals in some instances and to cancel elect, elective procedures, um, as well as having to hire additional labor to address the technology issues. And so I think there, there is some silver lining, and that is that with this attack, while the data for patients were held hostage, the data, uh, the, the patient care data them, themselves were not directly accessed or copied or manipulated in any way. And so um, that's the, 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 was the, the, the silver lining, I guess. But they still suffered uh, a, a fairly astounding uh, revenue loss during this, during this time frame. I want to thank you uh, again, Crystal, for agreeing to speak with us today. Um, but perhaps more importantly, I want to thank you for surviving this situation and for your contributions to the care of patients as a critical care clinical pharmacist uh, within your health system, both during and beyond the cyber attack. Thanks, Crystal. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jerry. I would like to say thanks to, to my colleagues. It was an interesting uh, working relationship on the writing project in that they were neck deep in this for the majority of it. And I was troubleshooting a little bit from the sidelines through part. And so that gave me the unique opportunity to capture a lot of this in writing so that we could go back and reflect on it and share it with others, which I feel is important, but often challenging when people are in the thick of, of dealing with problems.